the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a fascinating exploration of a couple of men that we have before us today as we continue our look at the two witnesses found in Revelation chapter 11. That's next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. And again, hello, welcome to the program. Our time together today returns us to chapter 11 of Revelation, the two witnesses. Now, yesterday we were introduced to them a bit. Today we continue our look at these two men and what they perform and why, and the significance of their appearance here in Revelation. We invite you to spend time with us as we continue our exploration of Revelation. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here God says, Ezekiel, I've got a job for you. I want you to raise this valley of very dead, dry bones and bring them to life. And who are the dead bones? They are the judged, dead, condemned, apostate Israelites. And he said, I want you to preach to these bones until they come alive. And they come alive. God causes them to experience this great awakening, this great resurrection. And then he says to them, I'm going to put you on your own land. And then I'm going to cause my spirit to come within you. And that is the promise of the new covenant, which is found in Ezekiel 36 where God promised to give his spirit in Christ to those who belong to him, which is the prophecy of a new covenant. So here, this isn't a literal resurrection. It is a picture of what God is going to do to his faithful people. They suffer, they die, they are raised from the dead spiritually. And then the spirit of God is put within them. Now, that's not exactly what Revelation is talking about, but I use that to help you see that the Bible does speak of resurrection sometimes in a non-literal spiritual sense. So we go back to Revelation 11, and we see that these witnesses, after having been put down, experiencing a temporary setback, are raised to great power and authority and begin their preaching again, and things start to happen. Listen to Matthew twenty four thirty one. Now, first, remember Matthew 24 and its first 36 verses are about the fall of Jerusalem. And it says in verse 31... The Lord will send forth his messengers with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to another. Now, I'm not going to take the time to exegete that, but there are some great commentaries on Matthew 24. If you're interested, just text me and I'll send them to you. 
What I want you to see is that in connection with the devastation of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and the apostasy of the people and all of the other turbulences of that era, there is nevertheless going to be the beginning of global evangelization in which God will cause his people, his messengers, to blast the trumpet of the gospel and gather his elect people from all over the earth. So that is what I believe Revelation 11 is talking about. It is talking about these witnesses having to suffer at the hands of the beast, but not for long. God reviving them again, which brings, begins the global evangelization, evangelism of the world. And as I told you last week, there was over a million Christians in the Roman Empire. And the kingdom of Christ has continued to grow ever since until now it is the largest religion on the face of the earth. <coughs> Here are some other verses on the fall of Jerusalem. First, Matthew 24, verse 8. It talks about wars and rumors of war and all of these things having to do with the demolition of the temple. It says, but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. This doesn't have anything to do with the end of time, as many have said. They don't have anything to do with the second coming of Christ. The fall of Jerusalem is not the beginning of the death of the world. The fall of Jerusalem is the beginning of birth pangs. When do birth pains take place? At the beginning or the end of life? Of course, it's the beginning. So here with the resurrection of these two witnesses, the faithful church, after being persecuted so long, you see the beginning of birth pains that are going to lead to the spread of the gospel all over the world. Now, Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The end is not going to come until the gospel has covered all the nations of the world. So when you put all these verses together, what this resurrection of these two witnesses is, is simply after having been persecuted, the world celebrated their death, being fed to the lions and such. God's breath is breathed back into them. They stand on their feet, becoming more powerful than they ever were before in the preaching of the gospel, which will eventually lead to the conversion of the world. Back in verse 12 of our text. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Now remember what God told John over in Revelation 4, verse 1. He said, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like a sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. What he was saying is, John, I want you to look at things not from your perspective on the island of Patmos. I want you to come up here with me and look at things from the vantage point of my sovereignty. And you will see 
that everything is under control. And now he's saying a similar thing here to these two witnesses. And he is not talking about the second coming of coming up. He is simply saying to them, I want you to come up here and find security in my sovereignty. Do you understand why some Christians were fed to lions? Do you know why some in the church were burned at the stake or used as tortures in Caesar's gardens? Oh, you may not understand, but don't worry. I have everything under control. I want you to come up here with me in all of my glory. I want you to come up here and look at things and find security in my sovereignty as you look at things from my perspective. Verse 13. And in that hour there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now what do we have here? What we have here is God's wrath in total victory over all of the enemies of God's people. This is the picture of the desolation and the complete devastation of Jerusalem, including also all of the future enemies of the children of God. Now, we're going outside the realm of three and a half days or a broken seven and three and a half years. We have more significant numbers here now. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake. Earthquakes are symbols of great social and civil disturbance on the face of the earth. So there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. It's not a ninth, not an eighth, not three and a half, but a tenth of the city. And 7,000, not 9,000, not 8,000, not 6,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, if this is literal, it's saying that this destruction resulted in a whopping 10% of the city being wiped out. That's not very impressive with, over, with the amount of people who were in Jerusalem. 7,000 people were killed. Well, that's not many considering the large number there, but this is not literal. Ten is a significant number in the book of Revelation. Ten is the number of completion. Seven is another number, important number in the book of Revelation. For seven is the number of perfection. So the text uses numbers like seven and ten. And it is saying there was this great civil upheaval. And a tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. But the point here is... That the opposition has totally collapsed. The oppressors of God's people have been completely defeated and Jerusalem has fallen. That is the prophecy. When Jerusalem fails, there's no more opposition from apostate Judaism toward the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostate Judaistic opposition has collapsed. The oppression of the Christians by the Jews has been eliminated in a great social and political and spiritual upheaval that Jesus said the likes of which the world has never experienced before or will after 70 AD. And the point is that the power 
of the word of God and the spirit of Christ are greater than the power of all of our enemies. And they will overcome them all, whether they are apostate Jews of the first century or whether they are the tyrants of the Roman Empire or whatever culture or society that ever oppresses the church. The word of God and the spirit of Christ are greater than all the powers our enemies can put together. And someday, by the grace of God, we will overcome them all. Let me read to you now a great prophecy in Isaiah 41. It is about the church. In the New Testament, Christ takes these prophecies and applies them to the church and calls them, calls the church the new Israel of God. So let me read you a prophecy of the new Israel of God. Isaiah 41, verse 15. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and will make the hills like chaff. You will whinny them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them. But you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. So the enemies of the gospel were only able to put to death these two faithful witnesses for three and a half days. And God said he would raise them from the dead and make them new, sharp, threshing instruments that is so big and so powerful that it is going to thresh and pulverize the mountains and make them like shaft. All of your enemies, the storm will scatter them and you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. So here we have Revelation 11 ending in the triumph of the preached word just as the whole section began. Remember, the whole section began in Revelation 4 and 5 with hymns singing God's praises. And now it concludes with singing God's praises. And they are all interrelated. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Notice the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Here is a hymn to the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose reign has already begun. And it began with his resurrection. (coughs) In 1 Peter 3.22, it says, Since Christ's resurrection, he is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So here is a great hymn of praise to the fact that you don't have to wait until the end of the world for Jesus to reign. Jesus isn't going to just reign for a thousand years at the end of the world. The kingdom of this world has already become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. With his resurrection, he has already begun to reign. And what will be true at the end of the world is already true at the beginning of this whole Christian era. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 that in the increase of his government, there will be no end. Just as there is no end of his government, there's no end to the increase of his government. History is the story 
of how Christ's government over his enemies continues to increase and advance. And it began at the cross, beloved, where he secured victory for us at his ascension to God's right hand. We are called, therefore, as faithful witnesses to proclaim this point. The beginning was pregnant with the end. What will be true in the future at the end of time is here now and was true 2,000 years ago. Jesus reigns even in the midst of this persecution, the three and a half days of death of the faithful church. Jesus still reigned. And even on this side of the battle, we can be sure that victory is still ours as the faithful church, regardless of the size or schemes of our opposition. We fight and endure persecution from the advantage point of God's total reign over every area of life. Then we come to verse 16 and following. And let's read those once again. Verse 16 and following of verse 11. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hail storm. So in the previous hymn, we have a hymn to the praise of God's total reign. Now in this hymn, we have a, pray, a hymn of praise to God's total victory. It's already begun as well. In other words, that is a constant emphasis throughout the book of Revelation. We see it in chapter 1, in chapter 5, chapter 11, chapter 15, and on and on. At the end, there is going to be the great consumption of Christ's victory over all of his enemies. That began 2,000 years ago with his resurrection and advances progressively and gradually until it is finished and perfected at the very end of time. Now, what I just told you is important to bear in mind. The reign of Christ began 2,000 years ago with Christ's victory over all of his enemies. That, be, that reign and that victory will continue to advance and increase and spread until it is perfected and consummated and finished at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is the way to read and understand history. The seed of the kingdom in Jesus' parables was planted 2,000 years ago. That seed is going to be harvested at the end of time. And in between, there is the growth of that seed. So when you think of the relationship of the present and the future and the past, that is the way to look at it. In the past 2,000 years ago, Jesus won total victory and began the establishment of his total reign. That reign continues to advance until one day it is perfected and it is finished. 
Then notice the last great statement in verse 19. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now look at that in light of everything that we've looked at so far. The literal temple is now destroyed. Everything is represented in Jesus' time is gone. It can't be, nor will it ever be, a benefit to us again. There will never be another literal temple built. The picture from where we are is the literal temple is destroyed, and now we have the opening of this true temple of God that stands open with the ark symbolizing all of the rich blessings, all of the rich realities that God's covenant promised his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all there. And that one is not closed to us. It is not finished. Everything that God promised his people is certain to be fulfilled in their lives. This open heavenly temple represents the reality of God's faithfulness to all of his promises. So what is the point of this picture in Revelation 11? It is that the triumphant rule of Christ and his saints has begun You don't have to wait until the second coming. You don't have to wait until some future date. Christ has already begun to reign, and we have already begun to reign in him. Nothing is going to stop the advance of his kingdom, which is going to grow and spread through the powerful preaching of the faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ until all of God's enemies are destroyed and all of God's promises come true. Please, one more verse. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read verse 23. But each in his own order... Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then at his coming comes the end of the world. When he, that is Christ, delivers us, the perfect kingdom, to God the Father. And when he has, or more literally in the Greek, after he has, abolished all rule and all authority and power. So when is Christ's second coming going to take place? At the end of the world. What is going to happen at the end of the world? Christ is going to hand over a perfected kingdom to God the Father. And when is the end of this world going to come? After he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. So it doesn't say that there will be opposing rule and authority and power until Jesus comes. It is only going to be after he comes that he abolishes this rebel power. No, it says the exact opposite. It says that Jesus Christ from the right hand of God is going to continue to put his enemy under his feet through the faithful preaching of the church. And then after or when... He has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. The end of the world will then come. And then he will come back and deliver the perfected kingdom to the Father. Beloved, that is the kind of future view you want to face life with. 
Christ has won the victory. He reigns over all things. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 